doesn't get any better. Where else would you rather be than listening to This Week at WDBC? How that rhymes. Welcome, Dr. J. I think we have a new tagline. That was the best intro ever. That was. Great to see you, Arden, or should I say Centurion? Centurion Angel, thank you. I was going to call you Gabriel. Do you reckon he's a Centurion Angel? I don't know. He always appears in these sort of battle contexts. I mean, the picture had like a sword and a shield in it. They did not appear in the bag. Oh, man. And how good was the carols? I think everyone had a great time. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, it was a fantastic time. Hats off to your wife, uh, to yourself as well. We had so many people volunteering, putting in their time. We had a just a fantastic time. Off to a bit of a... A little bit of a rocky start, though. Yeah, yeah, indeed. How is Liz? How's she going? Yeah, she's she's doing she's doing well. Look, um, for those of you who couldn't make it, it was quite hot in that room. We mentioned that we're going to start the air conditioning fund for the auditorium. It started on Sunday night at the Carols, uh, but no, we we unfortunately had someone have a bit of a turn due to the heat. We had to get some medical attention, but the good news is she's doing well. She's out of hospital, and the show was able to go on. So much big stuff happening. Steo and family, of course, leaving soon. We've got a farewell coming up for them at night service. Steo? Is that like Captain EO? <laughs> you mean Steve-O? Did I say Steo? You said Steo. Yeah. Steve-O. Steve-O. Yeah, Steve-O. Uh, Captain EO reference. Shout out if anybody gets that. Not a chance. <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephen Cole, he is getting ready to head off. I know they just found a place up in Coffs Harbor. We call him Mr. 100% around the office here because he has managed to secure a 100% vote. I don't think I've even heard of somebody who got a 100% vote before. So awesome. it's it's really just affirming of, yeah, of his calling. And God is lining things up for them. It's really exciting to see. And we're really stoked to see what the Lord's going to do. And we want to celebrate, of course, our time when uh, Joanna was, has been serving the church as well. She's wrapping that up. Joanna is our Minister of Community Life. We're still married. So she's still going to be here um, as a part of our fellowship. But she's stepping out of ministry here at the church for a while um, just to discern what the Lord's calling her to do. I really cannot thank her enough personally for the contribution she made, as we've reiterated uh, among the leadership and as I reiterated among the staff today. So much of what's gone right here at WDBC bears her influence, and I think that's something that maybe not a lot of people can appreciate. Uh, but as you might imagine, it, it's a tricky space to occupy. And some someday down the track, I'd love to get her in here and hear her perspective on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get to farewell her and, and express our appreciation for what God's done through her service during this time. Okay, well, enough from you and I, Dr. J. Time for another exciting guest. And this week, gosh, we're ramping it up. Ramping it We are ramping it up because solicitor extraordinaire Stephen Frost, PhD. Good evening. Pardon, Jono? Great to see you. You don't have a PhD. I definitely do not have a PhD. I made that up. Thank you. <laughs> now, you were doing lawyering things out in the real world, and then 20-odd years ago decided that wasn't for you, and you started, I mean, it had a different name back in the day, but you started Horizons Family Law. What was the, the vision and the goal behind starting that? Tell us that the first little seed that kicked things off. Yeah, so I'd been in practice as a lawyer in just normal private law firms for 10 years. I've been working the last four of those in the CBD of Sydney and had come to a realisation that in a pink fit I could never have afforded to hire myself to solve the problems <laughs> I was solving for other people and 
uh, that didn't really seem like the way the world was meant to work. And parallel with working in that job in the city, I was going through Morling Bible College, doing the world's slowest graduate diploma in Christian studies and um, <laughs> had really kind of gone into that thinking, well, I don't know where this will lead. Maybe I'll end up serving in a church. Maybe I'll just end up being a less incompetent volunteer. But what really crystallized for me while I was doing it, it was literally in a, in a particular lecture um, in the New Testament, just that Jesus really called us to go and take and be good news. He didn't just ask us to believe a bunch of things, um, cross our fingers and, and wait till we die, but mm. actually to live out um, his kind of life in the world wherever we happen to be. And I just remember this thing kind of snapping in my spirit that night, literally in a lecture on the book of Acts um, mm. and started just wondering what would it look like for me to go and take and be good news and beginning to just subvert some of the um, exclusionary paradigms that are in play in the in the legal profession, mm. you know, particularly around financial ability to access justice, um, ability for people with ways of being that might be a bit off-putting and therefore hard to kind of hang with and, and yeah. serve, serve through to the solution of a tricky problem, just tried to come up with something that might um, be good news to those kinds of people. So it kicked off Weybridge Ministries back we, in the day? We had um, an energetic young advertising executive, Arden K. Beach, who helped us with a lot of our branding <laughs> and did some of our early logos. And yeah, the sense behind that was just like we wanted to be followers of the way. We wanted to actually do mm. a thing that lived out the way of Jesus. And we wanted to do that in a way that was a bridge, not only into the church, but out of the church as well. I think sometimes we just end up doing local congregation in a way where grace gets hermetically sealed at the ends of our Sunday services and small groups and, and we just wanted to try and create a porous edge to the local church where grace could get out and people could get in. Wow, love that. Was there a moment when you got back after that kind of snap in your spirit? I'm curious if you remember in your mind who was maybe the first one or two or three people that you said, hey, look, I got this idea. You obviously crystallized and formulated that but can you take us through maybe those first couple conversations who were they with what was that like what what's the memory for you uh, the first person I had it with was the bloke who I was doing um, New Testament overview with who was um, giving me a lift to college that night mm. so we sat in the car on the way home and it was just one of those times where you you kind of can feel that something's shifted in your thinking and your spirit and um, yeah I just kind of said that to him out loud and said I really don't know what I'm meant to do with it but I feel like there's a thing I'm meant to pay attention to and um I remember going to bed that night and all of a sudden just having four words um, drop into my spirit, live, connect, share, disciple. Um, wow. And I I couldn't have explained to you exactly what the significance of that was, but my sense was that whatever was going to come from this would, first of all, be genuine life for me. Jesus talks about coming to give us life, life abundant. And I had a sense that there was actually an abundance of life that was um, going to be part of me running this experiment that as I did that that there'd be opportunities to share Christ um, I don't know that I could have really talked to you about what that would have looked like at the time but that the living would lead very naturally and appropriately to a, a type of sharing and that through that there'd be people who I would connect with who I'd have the opportunity to disciple I drew a little picture that was kind of a representation to me of the difference between what I had been involved in till that time which was running you know, seeker sensitive Sunday services Christmas and Easter um, mm. things that people would come to if they weren't normally part of a church panel nights that were talking about social issues but you know you, you put a lot of effort into to maybe connect with one or two people who don't normally come into a local congregation and I just thought well what if everyone in a local congregation though just went out and connected with people wherever they were in a way that shared Christ with them in some kind of way that the other person would say well that's actually really good news mm. um, and so the picture that I drew kind of represented that and you know when you talk about you know this flash in heaven moment it would be fictional to think that that went from idea to reality quickly it was probably a three-year 
process from when that idea first germinated, learning how to start up what ended up becoming a charity, but I knew what I was going to do needed its own corporate entity, um, mm -hmm. gathering together a board of truth-telling people who would say that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard or you, know, <laughs> you could be right, the spirit might be on that. Uh, yeah, just figuring it out. I, I pushed on a couple of doors that I thought would obviously work um, and didn't swing open at all. And eventually the one thing that kept uh, looking like it might actually work was what became Horizons Family Law Center. I wanted to ask a follow-up, if you don't mind. I feel as a pastor, I see a lot of people coming to the gospel as an end user. They go through their life, they accumulate a lot of experiences and things that they find difficult, and then they encounter the gospel. And a lot of them view it through that lens of, oh, isn't this fantastic? I've discovered now something for myself. I wonder, as someone who, who has had a strong faith and has now stepped a foot in two very different worlds, how does the gospel for you explain the disparity that we see in worlds of you know, high finance and, and law and, and the professional network in those systems and a lot of the worlds that you're dealing with now. Does the gospel inform your view of that disparity? I guess the first thing I'd probably want to say in response to that is um, I don't think there's two worlds. I think there's one world. I mean, it's multiverse stuff, obviously, <laughs> a Marvel context. <laughs> uh, but in my lived reality, there's only one world. It's the world in which we live and move and have our being. And there are at least two very different ways of experiencing that world. And there can be a version of that world that's grounded in uh, how much can I consume? How much can I produce? How much money can I make? How good holidays can I go on? What's the quality of my retirement going to be? How well do other people think of me? And orienting yourself around whichever of those seems most attractive to you. Hmm. Um, and then another alternative to that world um, is to orient yourself around the ways of Jesus. And um, that's a world that's tipped upside down because if you were previously interested in selfishness, it's about selflessness. And uh, if you were previously um, interested in accumulation. It's about giving away, and uh, you know that teases out uh, infinitely as you live your life. So, my experience of the world um, now is something I'm very happy with. But for me, this was just a, a continued drifting in the same direction, not a radical change. So, through that lens you're talking about, there was it a big faith step to move out of the corporate world and and sort of step off what may have been a precipice or was there just never any doubt uh, two things are true one is that i'm a bit of an all-in or all-out kind of guy and so that, that's just a personality defect or gift depending on how you look at it <laughs> and the other thing is that i i would regard it as a much stranger choice to tell the holy spirit to sit in the corner and shut up hmm. than to say yes to him um, when i have an inkling that he's calling me into a certain thing and so uh, that's just who I wish to be and that's what I did and my sense was that um, if I was right and it really was what Holy Spirit was calling me into that it would all work out fine even though I couldn't explain that to anyone, my mum included. Um, mm. And uh, if I wasn't right, I knew I could fund it for a year. Uh, I thought it would be an interesting experiment and I could go back to earning three times as much money afterwards. I've had this discussion with you before because you mentioned grace earlier. How do we fit the grace of of Jesus and, and the, the spirit of the gospel into the world of, of law and the legal system, which from all appearances just seems to be a minefield with, for many people, blockage after blockage after blockage. How, how do you merge those two? Uh, firstly, I'd, again, if, if there is only really one world um, and really it, 
is then just a matter of how do I view it and how do I engage with it. Uh, when you're in practice as a lawyer, whether you're running a charity like I am or whether you're working in private practice like I was for the first 10 years, it's a matter of saying, well, what are, what are, the, what are the sacred elements to what I do? Well, I, I help people solve problems. That's, that, that, the gospel's full of Jesus solving people's problems for them. I can stand in solidarity with someone who might feel very isolated. That, that's a profoundly sacred thing to do. And so long before I set up what I'm doing now, I think I hope I was already discovering uh, sacred ways of doing what I was doing for a living that my clients experienced as good news. I just I just get to f- make that front and centre now. Um, we looked then to try and say where in all of the uh, ways that law f- has failings, has gaps, has things that don't work how they meant to, could we go and take and be good news? And so first of all, you just go, well, the money barrier needs to be knocked down. Uh, and with the generosity of um, people who support what we do, including the good people at Bargain Barn and Windsor um, <laughs> District Baptist Church, we get to say to people, well, we're just going to help you. Um, and they say, well, how does that work? And we say, well, you know, there's a bunch of people who are followers of Jesus who think what we do is a worthwhile expression of who he is, and that's how it gets funded. Um, there's some costs for higher-level work, but it's all um, missing a few zeros from what you'd normally pay someone. So there's there's a practical edge to that, but there's also a prophetic edge to that because grace is generous. Grace is inexplicable. Mm. Grace changes things for the better in people's lives, and our funding structure um, ticks all those boxes as well. I think you could say uh, there's, um, there is only one world. There's a world that is um, the old creation that one day um, will fade away and a world that's the new creation um, that one day will persist and, and not be clouded at all by the old creation being... Um, caked over the top of it and so I just wake up every day and think what would it look like to go and be a new creation kind of person with the people I get to serve today and uh, see how that goes. I was going to ask can you take us behind the desk a little bit and take take us back into the office and I'm hearing you say that you're providing a what is a very relevant and real grace ministry for so many people I would imagine that there would be a queue out the door and around the corner for these type of services. Can you take us behind the door to understand the discernment process of where to engage, when to engage, how to engage? What, what, what is that like for you? Yeah, so we're a, we're a service of last resort for people who can't afford a private lawyer and don't qualify for legal aid. When I say that, lots of people think, well, who could that be? Surely legal aid helps everybody, and they certainly help an <laughs> astonishing number of people, but uh, the reality is that probably about 70 or 80% of the population in Sydney, in New South Wales, don't qualify for legal aid and wouldn't be able to afford a private lawyer for something that went on for a while. And the mm. kinds of cases we run, not in, not infrequently run for three to five years, the kind of people who get to the top level of work that we do um, are the trickiest situations to solve. How do we work out who moves from telephone advice, which is the the main entry door for most people? We take about a thousand referrals a year from people accessing either the telephone advice line or the face-to-face clinics. We run collaboratively with local churches, but then we run maybe three dozen mediations and, and maybe a dozen court cases in a year. So there's a real pointy end at the top of the pyramid so first of all you know do you have access to a lawyer any other ways doorway number one um, do you have a problem that relates to high conflict parenting disputes um, or issues of family violence domestic violence safety concerns they're the two things we we pretty much only do at the top level if you don't have access to a lawyer any other way and you've got family violence um, high conflict parenting disputes 
Um, we then ask some questions around, are you cutting with the grain of the legislation? Are you actually trying to pull off something that the Family Law Act wants you to pull off? And parallel with that, we're asking, are you cutting with the grain of the Holy Spirit? And we're incredibly fortunate that the Commonwealth Government, in its infinite wisdom, um, has put in place legislation that has a lot of attributes to it that's exactly what Holy Spirit's up for. Um, it constantly says that um, in the foreground of parenting disputes are kids, not adults. Wow. Uh, it constantly says that safety is more important than anything else. Uh, and so we're able to run those parallel tests in a way that has great integrity as a lawyer as well as great integrity as a follower of Jesus. And then we just you know, try and look for people who will be able to get the most benefit from the kind of work that we do. I know in chats we've had in the past, just around the, the massive I suppose, unwieldiness of the law. Because I'd ask you, how do you not become frustrated with such a system? And you're with some poetic license. Your response was, it just is what it is. And you just have to understand that it is what it is. And, and that's what it will always remain. Yeah, and, and navigating legal problems is certainly not the only thing in life where it is what it is and you just have to work out how to make the best of it. So I, I frequently basically quote the Apostle Paul to people and say, don't grow tired of working for good, which is my version of... Galatians 6 verses mm. 9 and 10 um, and I particularly end up saying that a lot to men um, who aren't great at doing things that are slow hard and uncertain mm. um, which court cases always are um, but it's a craft, it's an art, it's a problem solving tool and if you're willing to do the hard work um, in my experience it generally produces good outcome. So you've got nearly two decades in this expression of grace what trajectories have you seen over the course of that time, be it in the types of situations you're working in or be it in, in the law? Or, um, But I'm curious, how would you trace the arc of, of these nearly 20 years? Uh, people are getting more brittle relationally across the community. They, they break quicker, uh, harder and more completely than they used to. That's look, looking back over 27 years of legal practice because I used to do family law when I was in private practice too. Mm. The brittleness and willingness to de-person an ex-partner is much greater now than it used to be. People will create a version of their ex-partner in their head that ceases to be a human being wow. um, and then will be willing to do things that impact upon them in a way you would never do towards a human being and that seems to be much more widespread now than before. Because these can become horrifically bitter battles, can't they? Yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting guy who is or was an academic down at the ANU who started talking about interparental hatred as one of the drivers for the, the worst types of cases wow. in the family law system. And it's a really interesting thing for me to see someone who's an academic saying the, the best word to describe what's going on here in the English language is actually hatred mm. rather than pathologising it and turning it into some kind of you know psychological um, difficulty. Sometimes it is, but many, many times it's just human beings hating other human beings and treating them in the way that human beings have always always treated other human beings that they hate. Um, so, yeah, an, an increase in that, uh, Jono, there's definitely been an increase in awareness of family violence. Part of that is around the idea that what people understand that to be has broadened a lot over the 25-plus years I've been working in law, and, and really that's just understanding that there's lots of ways to corrode or damage a person other than just physically assaulting them. Um, but the family law uh, courts are now talking about think it's something like 70 to 80 percent of the cases in the family law court system having allegations of family violence as part of the court case um, and that's something that's um, much trickier than what it was when I first started. Having been exposed to many cases of hatred I would imagine that your sensitivity increases 
to noticing these things. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just take a, take a moment to what are some things that, that maybe you see early on in a person that you take as warning signs or red flags? I say this because sometimes people often in these situations don't realize they're in a dangerous situation. Uh, look, I'd probably be happier talking about green flags. Okay. Um, uh, we can talk about green flags. <laughs> because what I, what I would want for myself, what I would want for my wife, what I want for my daughters, what I want for anybody is that they be in a relationship that's marked above all else by mutual thoughtfulness, mutual generosity, um, and therefore mutual flourishing. And so that, that's the thing we're heading towards. That's Ephesians 5 or something like that, where the Apostle Paul unpacks what marriage really is. I would want to say then that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're shooting for. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're working for. And so I wouldn't want um, my wife to settle for anything less than the closest we can get to that on every single day. I wouldn't want my daughters to settle for anything less than the closest we can get to that on any single day for that matter i wouldn't want anyone in the community to settle for less than that to anything less than as close as they can get to that on any given day so as soon as i hear people talking um, in a way that suggests there's a different level of permission to behave selfishly on their side of the relationship than the other side of the relationship um, i'm hearing someone who's not shooting for the dream, the beauty, the wonder of, of what uh, our creator really intended, um, you know, lifelong fidelity to look like. You're looking for positive outcomes both in the, in the legal sense for clients and positive life outcomes, long-term positive life outcomes. What are some good outcomes that come to mind for clients or a particular great story, you know? It was fun. We were reading in team meeting this week Mary's exclamation of praise back to God when he told her that she was going to be pregnant in circumstances that might not be entirely without embarrassment for her family. And um, <laughs> she um, prophesied this time to come, this time that's already in place about, you know, the the powerful being pulled down and this ecstatic announcement of justice from the lips of a, a surprised virgin. And as a team, uh, I said to them, look, oftentimes I kind of read those statements in scripture and one of my eyebrows shoots north because I'm just not 100% sure the world always works quite as neatly as that. <laughs> but I said to them, you know, the, the reality is we can look back over this year and, and we can we can name like half a dozen to a dozen names of people who were being oppressed by powerful people in their life where that's no longer the case. We've you know, finished off cases in the last 12 months for people who had abusive ex-partners who used their kids as a weapon, um, stopped their kids from seeing them as a form of either punishment for leaving the abusive partner in the first place or an attempt at control to coerce them into coming back because it's easier than working to establish a, a new and better way of being. Doing the work that we do, we've been able to see them, you know, within comparatively short periods of time, you know, a small number of months, have their child back with them on a regular basis and, and see a court case through to conclusion to a point where there's court orders in place that will keep them and their child safe for the rest of their child's childhood. That's good news for the poor. That's freedom for the oppressed. That's binding up for the brokenhearted. And that's a world flooded with hope. That's what we're called to be here. I really resonate so much with that be and share good news. And Steve, I wonder if you could just look to the future a little bit. Obviously, no one knows the future, <laughs> clearly. Invite us on the journey. Invite people who maybe have been stirred by what you've shared today, how we can partner, how we can take next steps. What are you excited about and what would you like to invite us into? I'm excited by the blessedness of every day and so I'm excited by what today's been and what tomorrow's been as I pause every now and then. I'm not great at pausing, but as I do occasionally pause and look back and say, what on earth was going on two years ago and how is that different from what's going on now? I would notice that 
two years ago we had a team of four people and now we have a team of seven or eight and I should know the answer to that question. But I don't. Um, Someone just know. lost their job. <laughs> well, got their job. I know, yeah, it could be good news. Uh, you know, I look back, I don't know, 12, six, 12, 18 months and we had, you know, one regular clinic in partnership with a local church and another pop-up version of that and now we've got four clinics in kind of northern Sydney, southern Sydney, western Sydney and on the northern beaches. Um, so I don't regard getting bigger as necessarily a sign you're doing the right thing but if holy spirit ever wants to shut us down he's got a really easy way of doing it and that's just turn off the tap of either referrals or finances one or the other and we'd be done um so looking forward yeah we're trying to ask that question at the moment and say what does it look like for us to keep being faithful with trying to provide the most help to the most people we are beginning to talk thoughtfully prayerfully expectantly about a day at some point in the future where maybe we might have 12 people um, every clinic having a, a senior lawyer and a junior lawyer, uh, a couple of lawyers who aren't tied into a clinic who just do in-court advocacy work so that we can do more higher level work, which is where the real change happens for people and also where the real solidarity and discipleship opportunities come alongside people that we're serving. That would mean, uh, you know, different office space, bigger office space. It would mean different IT in- infrastructure. Yeah, so we're just uh, beginning to kind of wonder towards what, you know, five years, ten years from now. You mentioned some pretty big percentages earlier in terms of the folks in the state who would need a service such as yourself. How dire is the need? How great is the need? Are you guys just a couple of people in a, in a sinking boat sort of bilging water out with cups? I wouldn't pick that imagery, but that's because I'm hardwired for optimism. <laughs> <laughs> from a sustainable love point of view, unless I get out of bed every day and see... The, the tiny things that I'm able to do as a good news story and an unadulterated good news story, I won't keep doing this for a long time. Mm. Focusing on what's not right or how much else I can't do um, is not going to be helpful for serving people the way that I, I mean to and want to. The last time I heard anyone in the family law court system talking about the number of people who were running their own court cases, it was over 50% of court cases had at least one self-represented person running their wow. own court case. And something around about 35, 36% of cases had two self-represented people running their own court case. If we had um, you know, surgery across Australia where um, more than 50% of the time someone was acting as their own anaesthetist, um, <laughs> that would not be okay. And if around 35% of the time you know, there, there were people um, operating both as the surgeon and the anaesthetist without any relevant qualifications, um, we wouldn't regard that as okay. So people are being asked to do incredibly complicated things without the capacity to do it and... Yeah, so we, we help as many people as we can help. I mean, sometimes that's as simple as saying, here's a guy who's a, a straightforward human being who's great at his job, which is driving a truck. I actually can't drive a truck, don't have a license for it, wouldn't be very good at it. Um, in, enthusiasm's high, coordination's low. That's one of my lifestyle choices. Um, <laughs> my strengths, though, lie around things like writing emails. This bloke hasn't even got got an email address he sets he needs to set up an email address he needs to work out how to use a computer part of my job sometimes is literally showing a person how to cut and paste something Mm. into an email and hit send (laughs) that's but that's practical grace well you've really enriched us with uh sharing your your passion and your vision and the framework of of this field of grace that god's called you into and we're so blessed to be a part of that wonder if before we let you go, we can uh, maybe enter into a little bit of the Christmas spirit and have a bit of fun. Are you yet for a bit of fun, Steve? Why not? Why not? <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of Would You Rather Christmas edition. All sure. right. So don't have to think too much about it. Just sort of rapid fire. Here we go. Some of these may be more colorful than others. First of all, would you rather shop for presents or wrap presents? Wrap presents. Would you rather go ice skating or skiing? Either water or snow. 
Oh, those of those choices, I'd go water skiing in a heartbeat. Heaps of good childhood memories of fanging it around at Fingal Bay. We'll get you in on the fun, Arden. Arden, would you rather? Right. <laughs> would you Would you rather eat an entire Jello mold or eat an entire fruit cake? Jello for sure. I mean, jelly here <laughs> in Australia. Thank you, but yes, absolutely. Fruit cake is the worst. Yeah, fruit cake's not great. Who eats fruit cake? Uh, all right. Uh, for this one's for both of you. Would you rather get ten smaller gifts or one big one? One big one. One big one for sure. Yeah. Arden's my one big gift. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just uh, just just two more. Steve, would you rather listen to only Christmas music or watch only Hallmark movies for the month of December? Christmas music, please, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for both of you. Would you rather be an actor in a Hallmark Christmas movie or a dancer in the Rockettes? Wow, I have seen myself dance, and I'm not doing that. <laughs> You've got all. skills. Uh, well, yeah, that's what some people call it. So. <laughs> no, I'll be acting, thanks. Cardi, you? Dancing for sure. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. It's worth seeing. <laughs> Dreadful. Steve Frost there from Horizons Family Law, and what an amazing chat. And what what I'm thinking about it now, what an amazing couple Steve and Sarah must be, just a power couple. Yeah, total power couple. Oh, we've been so blessed to hear from both of them, and, and really to hear in very sort of different spheres, but I, I think to bring it together... What Steve was saying about, you know, when I asked him that question about how do you know signs of someone who might not be acting entirely loving in a relationship, his answer was, you know, the goal is to, for the mutual betterment of one another. And I, I look at their, you know, listen to these two people. What did you hear? You heard both people free to lovingly pursue what the Spirit of God has put upon their heart as a calling. And, and to watch how God's blended that together is a beautiful picture to behold. Another great guest. So I think the gr the guests are the only thing getting this thing by. Absolutely. It's definitely <laughs> not us. December, gosh, busiest month every year. We have got Christmas services all booked in and ready to go. Our Christmas is this year on the 24th and 25th of December. So the 24th at 5.30 p.m., come on out to the church. Uh, we're going to be talking about the morning star, Christ being the morning star. And then uh, on Christmas Day, uh, it's that great phrase, Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas Day, our service is at 9.30 and both services are uh, go for about an hour or so. Um, so just encourage you, welcome to come to both. Pick one or pick one that suits you. Uh, invite your neighbors and friends. A lot of people are more open to spiritual things this time of year than maybe they would be in the third week of June. Awesome. Well, let's wrap things up for another week. Next week, we're going to wrap things up for the year. And we will have Stephen Cole as our final guest for 2022 as he heads off into the sunset. Yes, we're both heading off into the sunset, but sort of one horse is going one way, and you and I are doing circles on the left. Mm -hmm.